The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. As promised, another best of. Markets, well, kicking back, pulling in, going up, going down. Things are maybe stabilizing. We have lots to talk about in the weeks to come. Great guests coming. All this and much more on episode number 769 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Good day to you. Welcome to the Disciplined Investor Podcast. I'm Andrew Horowitz. I'm the host of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. I'm also the co-host of the weekly show called DH Unplugged, where myself and John C. DeVore, I get together each and every week, and we talk about, uh, I would call it the lighter side of news. We deconstruct some of the things that are important to look at. We play some games. We have some stock tips that we do, uh, picks, I should call it. In the weekly stock picks game, we play the close to the pin. We have a lot of fun. It's live, by the way, every Tuesday. If you go to DH Unplugged at 9 o'clock in the evening, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, we are live and rocking. The stream is there. There's a chat room. Lots of fun. And on that show, which is a lot different than this show, what we really talk about is understanding what things really mean when we take them and shake them out. In other words, we talk about some of the different approaches and a, an intro, a very, uh, I would say, a hard look at to what it is that you're hearing and what it really means. Now, of course, we try to do a lot of education here on The Discipline Investor as well, but that show does it in a lighter fashion. Let's put it that way. It's a lot of fun. You really have to check that out. So make sure to listen to that as well. We have some great guests coming up over the next few weeks. I mentioned a few weeks back that we are going to have a couple, and this is the last one, of my Fed rants, my discussions about inflation, some of the topics that we pulled from over a year's worth of material in a form of a best of. And we're going to do that today. Last week with Claire Flynn Levy was awesome. I mean, getting into the behavioral finance part of things. But let's skip right into, let's get into some of my more, uh, I would say, active moments talking about the Fed and inflation. Here we go. Keeping inflation um, kind of anchored. Their expectations for inflation kind of anchored right now, but yet they're keeping yields low. We see the fiscal stimulus is coming in and maybe a little bit too much to keep inflation tamped down. However, we have record debts. That's what you're saying. It's record debts uh, being put forth by companies and, and, and sovereigns, et cetera. So therefore, if in fact we get a higher level of inflation, which is the expectation, hopes, and desire of the Fed, won't that actually push up yields? And if we push up yields, doesn't that cause a big problem to those people that have to pay the service on the debt? And the answer to all of that is an invariable yes. It's a problem. This is why the Fed is, is, is walking a tightrope right now. The problem is that they want something to happen, but not too much. 
They want to keep rates low because of the outstanding debt that was just put on the four plus trillion dollars that was added to their book, right? Added to their assets over the last several months on top of the four trillion or so they already they already had. That also is talking squarely into government debt. Government debt goes up the 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 uh, interest rate that, that is being issued on government debt goes up. That means that governments, when they issue the debt, will have to pay that much more, and that will go against the potential for growth. Because when you have higher debt costs, well, it stymies growth. You have to pay those debt costs. So it's a very weird circumstance. It's almost to a point of, let's call it a conundrum. They want to keep rates low. They want inflation to go higher, but they don't want it too high, much higher. They're willing to keep their interest rates low. That's why... They started talking about this inflation averaging because they realized that if, in fact, we start to see growth and inflation due to the fiscal stimulus that's being poured on by not only our governments, but governments around the world into the economies, a direct feed of money. And therefore, that would create a significant amount of price increase due to a supply demand if demand comes back due to like the vaccine we've talked about or just simply the fact that low-cost money, lots of money in the system, creates excessive amounts of demand, well then, hey, they would be forced under normal circumstances to start raising interest rates. One of the big things last week, though, the FOMC meeting, and just to quickly talk about that, you know, when I listened to that, I was like, man, this guy is talking out of both sides of his face here. I mean, kind of a forked tongue in a way. Powell's talking about this projecting that we have this really good economic recovery and that GDP is going to be above 4%. At the same time, he's talking about needing to keep interest rates down at emergency, historically low levels until 2023. <laughs> it kind of makes me laugh. It's got to make you laugh how they talk about this, right? And the problem is that the Fed and other powers out there, like the Japanese Central Bank and everybody, they're, they're, trying, they're trying to convince us that their efforts in what they can use, the tools that are available to them, can actually guide inflation in the future. In other words, they believe that the, the things that they're doing have a severe and significant and a powerful impact on the direction of inflation, moving it back to the level that they want it to be. Yeah, I think there's going to be inflation in the future, but the reason that we're suggesting that we're going to see some of this is not necessarily specifically due to the Fed. Because I think it's a combination of this low interest rate environment and massive, I mean massive, fiscal stimulus, direct payments to people. So when you add that together, it really starts to do stuff, right? Where is all this coming from? Well, it's the stimulus. So part of the money probably was shoved into the markets from all this. So, and if you're wondering what happened in November, hey, uh, why did the markets go up in November? It wasn't like, you know, earnings. It wasn't anything else. It was this incredible push of money into the M1 supply by the powers that be that increased the amount of money available for spending, which helped the economy, of course, but also really provided for that trickle down that we've seen into markets. So that stimulus 
combination is what I'm talking about when I speak about inflation. The whole idea of where are we going? Is there going to be inflation? The Fed's full of crap. They can't do it on their own. But when you start to see the velocity of money really start to, to move higher like we've seen due to the fact of the incredibly low interest rates where you can borrow tons of money and the flush of actual money into the system and the liquidity, liquidity that it created, that is inflationary. After the close, uh, banks went, went straight up. I mean, we saw a move about 5%, 4% for Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, um, and all the major players that passed, quote-unquote, passed the stress tests, which is really fascinating that in a time where we have to have ultra-low emergency-level rates at a time that we have to have $120 billion per, per month, per month of quantitative easing, at a time that we have no way to get to our inflation goals, it looks like we have a significant amount of unemployment and real problems in the economy. Plus, banks have loan loss reserves they put aside in the multiple billions of dollars that now all of a sudden banks can start doing their buybacks again. I don't know exactly know how that's going to help the economy and why the Fed is going down this path at this time and couldn't wait to see how things are going to play out into the start of 2021. Weird. But just one more of those times that there is a um, desire for the Fed to simply, you know, goose things. The Fed, which is something we've talked about time and time again. And I know probably some people are like, oh, here he goes again. There goes Horowitz talking about the Fed again. But I mean, listen, the last few regimes of the Fed have clearly signaled that no matter what the issue is, that they are very willing to push as much money into the system. And they're not at all concerned about what the longer term problems that may arise from their actions. This is not, this is not criticism. This is observation. I mean, if you really think about it for a second, you, pretty much the entire world prospered on what could have been the greatest economic disaster. I mean, yes, we had an economic disaster. Individuals are having their own economic disasters. But if you look at and step back, if we just for a moment step back and take a look at what's going on around the world and how markets and currencies and hard assets and the general nature of what's gone on, we have pretty much papered over this entire situation pretty darn well. There's been some conversation from various members of the Fed and the speakers and those voting and non-voting that have talked about, hey, you know, we may start actually thinking about tapering. Now, of course, remember that the Fed talked about not thinking about, not thinking about, not thinking about raising rates till sometime in, what was it, 2023. But, well, this is a little different. We're talking about tapering. In other words, what that means and what that, what, what that code is, is that they may slow down the purchase, the quantitative easing of the bonds, right? The quantitative easing purchasing program that they have that is buying $120 billion of monthly 
of municipals and of uh, corporates and of treasuries, and they may start to slow that down. I don't see how that's possible, especially with the massive amount of spending that's about to be unleashed by Washington. We've seen the trough to the peak and the peak to the trough because the Fed has either pushed too hard or pushed too little. And they're doing it again now. Last time in the financial crisis, they said, you know what? They made the excuse that inflation is down. Therefore, we need to keep interest rates low, even though we're reaching past the levels of employment that we had as our target. This time, they're doing the reverse. They're saying, hey, you know what? Inflation is high. It's above. But you know what? Our employment number's not there. So they make up whatever they want to make up, when they want to make up, how they want to make up, and they just continue doing what they're doing. And in a way, we've all been trained to believe that, you know, during these financial catastrophes, wow, what a great opportunity here, because we know the Fed is full of crap. We know that these things actually make for really great investment opportunities to a point. And in fact... If you think about it, when the worst is over and things get better, it's not as good as a time to invest. The truth of the matter is that this time around, it is different. There's $7 trillion sitting on the balance sheets. That's absurd. In modern day Fed era, with the Bernankes of the world and the Yellens. They believe their job is much different than their predecessors. Who were really there to control pricing and to make sure that there was a stability in the markets. This new group, with Powell included, thinks that their job is all about the markets. And they will continue to push on all of this until a time that they go from the peak to the trough again till they break the system, till there's too much margin and leverage like we just saw last week with the hedge fund that blew up, till we see that there's so much money in the system that everybody and their brother are opening up brokerage accounts and investing in the crappiest of crap stocks, thinking they're going to get rich quick, which is something we need to talk about. The idea of what's your goal in all of this. Why are you listening? What are you doing? Is it all about getting rich quick? No, probably not. Although it'd be nice. Will, in fact, the Fed have to react and do something much sooner than the Fed parade of speakers has been really talking about? You know, you've heard the phrase, he who protests too much. Well, they're doing a lot of protesting lately. They want you to believe that, yeah, there's no way that they're going to change what they're doing. And we talk about this a lot because there's a great impact on markets from what they say and what they do. But right now, there seems to be a bit of a misalignment. The concept of, hey, we are seeing that there is inflation. We talked about this the last show, and we talked about this on DH Unplugged this week. I talked about this a bit on the Med Faber show. I was a guest on that this week. I talked about that on Benzinga's pre-market. I was a guest on that this week. The idea that, hey, you know what? Maybe there is something more 
about this price escalation and this idea that the Fed is going to hold out to 2023 on their rates and their bond purchases are going to last pretty much forever at $120 billion per month. I'm not sure. Because what they have right now are all the ingredients to really supercharge inflation. Because beyond the fact that we just have these prices kind of escalating due to various circumstances, you have the psychological impact that goes on with the velocity of money where their belief is that prices are going to go up forever. And when you have that situation, people start doing what? Saying, I better buy that right now. We've seen this in asset prices. We've seen this in home prices. We're seeing it in goods, in commodities. And this is all the baseline aspects and attributes of what happens when you get runaway inflation. We no longer really have a totally free market. And that's something really important to understand in the world of investing right now. That may change in the future, but right now we have a lack of true capitalism, market freedom. Because it's being supported by the Fed and fiscal policy. And we're all happy about that. Whoa, hey, you know, give us an extra trillion dollars. Do another hundred billion dollars worth of monthly bind buying Make sure that we have interest rates low so that borrowing costs are really in control and, and extremely low. And let's do everything that we can to prop up the economy. And that's good for stocks. It's good for investments, commodities. It's good for everything, speculation. Everything is good. But, you know, we have to also step back and recognize that that is not necessarily a freely operating market. And... I say that and bring all that to you because of what happened, particularly this week, when the Fed got a little bit more hawkish. Now, they just talked about the fact that, well, you know, uh, we have a situation here where we're a little bit uh, concerned about the potential for inflation. The economy is healing, and as the virus is under control and vaccines are put out uh, more and more, well, we're thinking that the economy may heal a little bit faster than we originally anticipated. Things are going better than we thought. We heard that not only under the breath and tone uh, from Powell, but also on Friday, we heard a couple of speakers that talked about that. And the the uh, the, the main one was Friday morning with um, Bullard, James Bullard. He talked about how... Well, the Fed went hawkish. He used the word hawkish. We heard that they are upping their estimate on inflation from 2.4% throughout the 2021-2022 range to 3.4%. Now they just slipped that in there. 24 to 3.4%. That's a, wait, 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 wait. That's a 30% increase in the expected inflation rate over a period of year, year and a half. Now, what that tells you is a few things. First, the Fed sucks. <laughs> the Fed sucks at projecting anything. Well, we all sit here and go, well, the Fed says that they're going to have an unemployment rate of this, and we're going to have a growth rate of that, and the GDP of this, and we're going to have inflation rate of that. We really believe that we're going to provide our clients the best interest by following along their anticipated outlook. The only reason why you would, why, why anyone, would actually go ahead 
and follow along with the Fed's outlook is because you believe that just following along the Fed is a good idea because they will change and they will maneuver whatever they have to to stay on easy policy right now. Their outlook, their projections, and their estimates are crap. Seriously. They're terrible. They've always been terrible. All they do is adjust. They're no better than the weatherman. They're no better than an average economist out there that basically, well, I would say if you were an advanced amateur or even just a low-level beginner professional economist, you would do the same job as the Fed. If you had the ability to change your mind and to update, revise your outlook on a regular basis. That's what's happening. Now, one of the things that's happened is that with this slight change, which I'm going to get into in a second, what they did, because it's really interesting. There was a big underlying change in markets. We saw this rotation happening. And the darlings turned into dirt, and the dirt turned into darlings. Very quickly, without a tremendous amount of reason why, except for the fact that if you want to follow along and you want to peg it on inflation and the, the, the effect of what it does to the dollar and more importantly what it does to interest rates, okay. In fact, we thought that if there's going to be inflation, this was the going basic narrative that you had to buy into that, you know what, if we do have inflation, interest rates will go up. And we saw that from the beginning of the year. We saw the interest rates really started moving up. Look at TLT as an example, the long, the 20 plus year long treasury ETF. And you'll see that the price went up dramatically, meaning rates, um, or I should say that, that price, price came down dramatically, rates went up. Price came down, rates went up. Everybody was of the mindset that there was going to be a significant amount of inflation, thereby bringing on higher rates. Well, what happened here is, in fact, with the Fed coming out with their commentary, there was a yield curve flattening. What that does is it starts to show you that there is tightening in the economy, whether or not the Fed is doing it or the general nature of what's happening with bonds and yields. The bottom line is money is not as freely available. And as such, it is considered a tightening. And yes, the Fed did acknowledge a lot of things. And yes, the Fed did kind of hint to a degree that there's going to be the potential for maybe, possibly, sometime in the future, we'll see what happens, maybe a slowdown in bond buying. Now, the Fed raised the interest rates it pays on bank reserves or the O, the I, o, was the I-O-E-R, the I-O-E-R, which is the banks that pay, the, the rate it pays on bank reserves. They raised it to 0.15% and also lifted the rate it pays on overnight reverse repo arrangements to 0.05%, which is a tool used to set a floor on short-term interest rates. Effectively, what happened here is it basically pulled some liquidity out of the markets. It pulled liquidity out of the markets. And it wasn't necessarily meant to do so in a very rapid pace. However, it did do that. In fact, we saw one of the largest moves 
on reverse repos and, and, and tremendous amount of offering back to the Fed with this increase in the interest rate it pays on bank reserves. A lot of banks put their money with the Fed, billions, 50, I think it's it was close to $700 billion. So my takeaway from all this is, is, is this, 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 this little nudge, this little wink towards, yeah, we see there's a problem in the future is creating problems in some area of the markets that, well, maybe, yeah, was too frothy. Maybe they were due for a pullback, but we're really not even talking about a move that I would call significant. In fact, I don't even think I would call this a move that was necessarily tightening. While it did have the impact of a slight level of tightening, don't forget banks can move money off their balance sheets onto the feds back and forth. They're making a little bit of money on it. That's good for them. It does take out money that they would necessarily lend to the street. The big problem here, I think what's going on right now is that the fed has painted themselves into a corner. And they really can't get out of this one without causing some major market damage. And that's understandable. If you think about what they did was create a major move in risk assets, right? And risk appetite, animal spirits, and speculative nature of opportunities in various markets. Well, when they start pulling out of it, it's going to take some of the wind out of that. And you have to realize that, hey, don't fight the Fed is a real thing. We talk about not fighting the Fed. And I think I've told this story before that I was, I was on horseback climbing a mountain around a very, very thin trail in Costa Rica. And my wife is on one horse. I was on another horse and our guide was right in front of me. And uh, my wife is freaking out. We're going up and higher and higher along this mountain. It's not that high, but okay. It was more like a giant hill. And this is a very small path. It's maybe... I don't know, maybe, maybe it's three feet wide, maybe. And my wife says, oh my God, oh my God, we're going to fall off. I said, listen, do me a favor, do me one favor. She goes, what? I said, hold on to the horse. She goes, why the horse? I said, because the horse doesn't want to fall as much as you don't want to fall. And the horse knows this mountain. Hang on. Kind of the same thing with the Fed. Hang on to what the Fed is doing. They don't want things going awry on their watch. So if you're worried about markets that are going to crash and you're thinking about, that's eh, any day now. And I do think there is a distinct possibility that we'll see some market movement to the downside. Clearly another move that is significant one day, yes. But remember that more often than not, markets don't crash. Now, you know that I am all in favor of looking at hedging opportunities, looking at buffers, and looking at making sure that your portfolio is solidly set, but that is a far cry for just sitting in a corner cowering and just being in cash. Even the Fed a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, talks about, hey, yeah, mm mm-hmm. We are seeing higher prices and we are seeing an expectation of higher inflation moving forward. Then, as we talked about two weeks ago, Bullard came out on a Friday and said, yeah, you know what? I can see that there's a bit more hawkish view by Powell. Well, that kind of did a number on the markets on that Friday. And usually when you have an elephant trying to open up a bag of chips, 
there's some wreckage that happens. And the elephant in this situation is the Fed that was trying to walk this back and rates started dropping and they kept on talking it up. And on Thursday, what happened is the narrative switched from, hey, we don't have a lot of inflation. It's not a big of worry. Hey, we could rates are coming down a bit. That's great too. Oh my God, global growth is coming to a halt. That's why rates are falling. So very quickly we went from, hey, China's doing great. And, you know, even though we have all these lockdown potential and problems with these variants, well, uh, Europe is doing a lot better. South America is kind of uh, muddling through. Okay, our, I mean, EM is getting along and the United States is doing just fine in Canada. And so all of a sudden we have this new conversation that enters into the markets kind of overnight. Bit insane in my opinion. How all of a sudden there's going to be less growth and there's going to be not only a lack of inflation, but we're probably entering into a deflationary spiral that we're continuing to see that we've seen for years. That the Fed, no matter what they do, is unable to get us to that 2% average annual that they've been talking about, or at least that 2% level for a little bit. If we really get down to the core of what it is, I think we're going to find that there's an exceptional amount of debt. Yes, debt. That's really fueling all of this. That's really, I mean, I don't think anybody could deny that. When we look at the balance sheet of the Fed, which has gone up by $4.5 trillion in the last year, the same amount that was built up from the financial crisis to just before the pandemic economy broke. And that's going to be all well and good, just fine, until we see one downgrade. See, so with the downgrade of corporate debt, that there's an overabundance of use, that there's an inability for a company, a major name, to, in the foreseeable future, to keep up with their debt service, for a significant economy, the sovereign debt to be knocked down, but the probabilities, by the way, of this, eh, not so good. Radio services know the thin ice that everybody is now walking across when it comes to the amount of debt that they have. They understand that if, in fact, they do start downgrading significantly, the sovereign debt or even corporate debt from some important companies, you could have a major cataclysmic, cataclysmic market event. That's how thin of a, of, a, of a level of ice that everybody is kind of dancing on right now. The disconnect that we see is real. When we look back or even look currently at something like the thought that Australia is in a lockdown, that many businesses aren't open, that there's a huge unemployment problem there. And yet, there's been a massive move in risk asset prices. Incredible to all-time highs. I mean, how does that square? How do you even make any sense out of the fact that we have a country in a lockdown, yet their markets are raging higher? So I've been thinking about this. 
you know, what's this all about? How does this happen? Without getting too much in a rant about with the Fed and, you know, that none of this matters at a time when money is free and being heaped upon all of us, let's think about prices for a minute. Let's think about prices. I mean, think about if you have, I don't know, a dollar in your hand and you were buying a pack of gum, let's say. And let's assume that that pack of gum was 30 cents. You may think about, well, maybe I should look for a better value. That's 30% of what I have to spend, and I'm not sure I want to spend that. If you have 50000 in your hand, the $1 or the, you know, the gum at $0.30 cents or $1, $2 isn't even a big deal. In other words, what I'm saying to you is it's all a matter of perspective of how much you're willing to pay for something, right? Even if the price moved to $2 and you have 50000 in your hand right there and said you could spend a few dollars, all right, who cares? I'll buy the gum for $2. I want some gum. All right, no big deal. I'm not going to look for a bargain. I'm not going to look to haggle. I'm not going to go to another store. I'm not going to search around. I'm not going to wait. I want it now. The same thing kind of is happening today. Let's get down to what is really going on here. The opportunity for the Fed to increase the overall profitability of companies in an in, in a abstract notion to create this wealth effect does not hit people equally. And this is where that rich get richer, the poor get poorer, that's where this comes into play. Wealth gap inequity, wealth inequity, wealth, all of that. And they're not helping it. They're trying to, but they can't. The idea that the Fed is involved in climate, I can't even say it with a straight face. The Fed is involved in climate change issues. Like, what can you do as a Fed? I mean, that's ridiculous. Climate change, the Fed. Wealth inequity, that they could do something about it. No. Well, there you have it. A bit of a compilation episode about inflation and what I thought about the Fed, what they did. The fiscal stimulus combined with the monetary stimulus combined with the Fed doing what they do. This grand experiment that went awry very quickly. So we have that available as an archive now on what I thought over the last year, this episode, a couple episodes back where I was really ragging on the Fed, as I do quite often, acknowledging, at least from my perspective, that I have come to the conclusion after many years, many decades, that, you know, at first, okay, let's follow along. Second, all right, let's follow along, but let's be skeptical. Third, you know what? You got to watch what they're doing, but they're such full of crap. And that's where we are today. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. The look back over the last year, the best of on the TDI Discipline Investor Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week. We're going to come back with some great education, moments, comments, uh, and, of course, answer your questions. Get into the topics of investing as well as some of the stocks that are entering our portfolios over the next few weeks. I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, 
or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.